This is Brian Janikowski with Friday, with Market Chat, Friday, July the 14th. I'm Christian Thwaites. And I'm Emily Takenberts, and let's get started. So Christian, um, on Friday today, uh, the big three banks, JP Morgan, Wells Fargo, and Citi, reported pretty solid numbers. But at the same time, uh, JP Morgan cut forecasts for lending growth. And could this signify that factors like low economic growth or the narrowing of the yield curve may stall further gains in financials? Uh, I, I don't think so. Any, any one quarter of loan growth, even from the, one of the biggest banks, JP Morgan, I, I think doesn't reflect more than just what they're going through. So they might have had more loans out to CapEx. I know that they were, to, uh, they, they were lending out to a lot of oil and gas companies about a year ago. So some of their, some of their growth rates might have uh, stalled out a bit. So I'd, I'd, I'd really rather wait for a couple of quarters and see a lot of banks report rather than just go on this one. But I think the bigger picture on banks is really about um, them slowly being able to return capital to shareholders in a more liberated way, having passed the stress test that we talked about a couple of weeks ago. Great, thank you. Um, so we also had uh, some hard numbers this week. We had producer prices and service costs, both which were weak. Um, when are we going to be able to, or, or tell me, talk to me about the dynamic of this quote-unquote explaining away of weak hard data numbers. When will this come to a head? When will this just um, not be sufficient enough or an explanation would not be sufficient enough where the stock market would react to to weak numbers? Yeah, I, I think this is the real tussle that's going on with policymakers at the Fed and indeed the markets for quite some time now, certainly since the election, where we've had this discrepancy in what is commonly referred to as the soft data. So the soft data is business confidence, consumer confidence, things like the University of Michigan consumer survey, which came out today, Friday, and was down a little bit. Uh, people's capital, capital expenditure intentions, um, uh, housing permits, things like that, which are all about future activity and give some sort of indication that people are intending to do something and, and, and will do it. But this used to be obviously fairly good lead indicators, but they've broken down a bit uh, over the last few months where there hasn't been much or enough of a follow through. So for example, you know, housing starts have been uh, a little flat. And then uh, we got industrial production numbers, which were pretty good month on month, but not necessarily very good year over year. Um, Certainly the trade numbers, which we've talked about for a while, have been weak. Retail sales came out. They weren't particularly strong. So, uh, you know, and the core retail sales is important as an indicator for GDP. They feed right into GDP, and, and most people are expecting the second quarter to come out at 25 uh, 3% after that sort of 1.5% or less print, I think we got on the, on the first quarter. And if you've got no retail sales, then that's just not going to happen. So I think the, the market is sort of expecting this, uh, this kind of soft, hard numbers. Um, and uh, so for, for right now, there isn't a, a whole lot of pent-up anxiety about it. It's more like a, a, a disappointment. I think that explains really why both 10-year treasuries, bond markets, and equity markets have essentially traded flat for the last uh, three months. So if 
the, the data is weak and markets are at all-time highs, should we, be watch should we actually be watching the soft data for an indicator? And, and let's operate from pr the premise that you know, investor confidence in terms of, of stock markets is, is, a, is everything, basically. Should we actually be watching the soft numbers in terms of business confidence, consumer confidence, and see if those dip to, to give us any clues about where the market might be headed? Yeah, I think I think they're always worth looking at. They you know they have time on their side. They're, they're, these are tested leading indicator uh, uh, numbers, which which people have been following for years. And quite frankly, if a if a corporate CEO for me comes out of their earnings season and is confident about the next quarter, that's a good indication. That means that they're going to be either ramping up production or they feel good about prices or they feel good about volume or they just might feel better about hitting the numbers but either way that's you know that's that's generally a good thing good thing to have so this this disconnect i think is is part of a bigger picture of uh, people spending a little less it's some of the demographic issues it's some of the labor force participation trading off uh, it's some of the you know, costs of housing and some key economic areas. So uh, the question is, will they kind of link back up again? But but for now, I think the market's sort of getting used to some of these sentiment and confidence numbers being a, a little soft <laughs> and uh, and the hard numbers, you know, being uh, a, li a little disappointing. I mean, n not enough to correct the market in any major way, but not enough to spur the market into a solid, strong, significant movement either way. We've talked about this before, but you know, with all this uncertainty, why isn't there more volatility in the stock market? Yeah, this is, this is again puzzling uh, in a lot of in a lot of areas, and uh, you know, in this week's blog, we talk about some of this, and we've talked about the equity market being in this very you know narrow trading range. It's around about twenty four hundred. It's kind of where it ended up a little bit little bit up this week. Uh, kind of grinding upwards, but um, but essentially we've had no real major correction, as as signified by over five percent in nearly eighteen months. We haven't had a ten percent correction in uh, almost two years, uh, and that even that one was very short lived. And then, uh, you know, we put some in numbers in here. Ten-year Treasuries have traded between one and a half and three percent for six years now. Uh, German government bonds, another major global benchmark, have traded between 0.2 and 0.6%. So that's like 40 basis points for two years. Uh, dollar index has traded less than 5% for the last two years. Uh, VIX has traded between 10 and 25 for five years. So, uh, yeah, it's it just doesn't seem to be um, uh, enough sort of impetus to away from this kind of slow growth, lowish growth, relatively low inflation story. So there's really nothing to kind of grab onto and make, make the markets run. But on the other hand, I think they do have a certain level of, of confidence built into them. They're not necessarily moving and they're not necessarily volatile, but they're not selling off. So there's some, some uh, I think, optimism that, that the monetary policy behind it and the economic policy, although weak, are not going to be too disquieting or upsetting to the market. And that was going to be my follow-up question was, what connection do you see between this low volatility and this extended period of low interest rates and cheap money? I, I think they're connected for sure because uh, you, 
if, if you're in a higher nominal interest rate environment, you just have more choices on assets you can go to. If you need a 3 or 4% asset, you can get it from a intermediate or long duration bond, uh, or you can get it from putting it into riskier assets. But, but when, when yields, especially short-term yields, are so low, there's very little uh, foreign exchange trading you want to be doing because everyone's yielding within 20, 30 basis points of each other. Um, and, and, and then the, the discount methodology used, you know, like in something like dividend discount models and things like stocks, if, they're being, if the discount factor is at a low rate, which is what, which is what a low rate number gives you, they're not going to move around very much. They're, you know, they're either going to be revalued or, or earnings have to push the, push the stock up. But, um, but interest rates being so flat, you know, it's not going to change just a, a, as a result of those kind of discounted financial models. So I think they are kind of inextricably twined as well. Um, and, but and, uh, just to, for the record, I'm fine with low volatility. Um, I don't think we have to be thinking that it's hugely abnormal, uh, although it, it has been historically very, very low. And we include a chart here that stock volatility has been incredibly low for um, for decades now, for lowest level for decades. But I, I don't think we have to get too, you know, angst-ridden about it. I, I, I think it's a number of factors that are playing into that. And one of them, by the way, I think is also the the rise of indexing and ETFs, which means that blocks of assets get traded rather than individual securities quite often. Following along with this theme of uncertainty, we also heard from Janet Yellen this week. And you know the takeaway to, to what she had said before Congress is really that she, she has no real answer as to why inflation and uh, wages remain so slow. Um, what is your take on that, or so so low, I would say? What is your take on, we've talked about this numerous times before, um, but is that a reflection of businesses uh, not being confident in terms of hiring? Uh, is it um, not finding the people that they uh, want to hire? Uh, what is this, what do you attribute to this very low wage growth um, environment that we're seeing? Okay, so there's two things that she talked about. One was low inflation, and she, she put that down to a number of temporary factors. The trouble is that these temporary factors keep on changing. And so, you know, the, 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 the explanation behind, behind low inflation numbers a year ago was, you know, low, lower energy, lower housing prices. This, mm -hmm. this, this quarter, it might be something like lower wireless costs or, um, or, or lower... Um, uh, used cars, which are coming off leases, um, or airline fees. So every quarter there seems to be something going on to explain the temporary lull. I think it's actually fairly permanent. We're looking in mm -hmm. a, you know, a low inflation world, and uh, uh, some of that is just the way the CPI is constructed, and there's a lot of competition for, um, for, uh, amongst business businesses, and so no one wants to really raise prices. And I think on the wages side, I mean, Yellen and much of the Fed is a classic believer in the Phillips curve, which to oversimplify is that as unemployment goes down and labor scarcity increases, therefore wages go up as employers try to bid up uh, in, in pay in order to keep, their, keep and attract uh, a, a scarcer pool of available labor. But I, I think there's also another big shift that's been going on, which is that labor bargaining power has diminished. We know that. We see it in the numbers. We see labor taking in a much lower share of uh, GDP uh, and corporate profitability than they have in the past. And 
I, I think it's very difficult for, uh, uh, for, for employees to demand higher wages in this type of economy, and I don't think employers necessarily want to give them. Now, they might give them in disguise formats where it might be the same pay but with fewer hours, which is another way of sort of getting a, a pay increase, or doesn't necessarily put more money in your pocket, uh, and it might show up there. But it just seems that for now, there's very little wage pressure. Um, uh, I mean, it, there'll always be some parts of this economy where where it'll be higher. There might be a shortage of rig workers in North Dakota, and that goes up, or truckers, or something like that. But um, I think generally wages are, are being suppressed both by the employer side and also by what's going on in the larger economy. Remember, something like um, you know, retail services employs 17 million people, so like it's well over 10% of the labor force. And I can't think of many retailers who are going to be willing to take on extra costs these days, given the whole Amazon effect. So you can just run these stories through the economy and just say, well, I just wonder where you know, wage inflation, if it's ever going to come. Uh, where it's likely to come from, and there doesn't seem to be any likely candidates. And do you see wage growth as a, f- a contributing factor to potentially spurring on inflation? If we do see that wage growth, well, possibly. I mean, you know, that's the that's the kind of Phillips curve connection. But there's obviously some steps in between. Someone might get wages, but but then uh, you really have to look at their disposable income because they might bump themselves into a higher tax bracket, or they might have. Know, additional costs like healthcare costs, which will dissipate some of that wage growth. Um, but another one might be, and that we've seen this depending on what, where confidence is and where you're in the cycle, where a wage increase goes straight into saving. And uh, and they're given the relatively low l- rates of savings plus this demographic push that we've got, you know, it's difficult to see that that necessarily turns around and, and leads to higher prices in in uh, everyday goods or prices or new cars or something like that, you know, where where, where you think, okay, well, it's the extra wages is going to be marginal propensity to consume. I think that marginal propensity for consumers probably declined de- de- declined a bit, and I'm just not even sure if that old kind of wage price connections is is as strong as uh, as people think it it is. Thank you very much, Christian. Thanks to you for listening. Thanks, everybody. And here's the disclosure. Please note that this discussion of our investments, investment strategy, including our research investment process, represents our investments in investment strategy at the date of this commentary and is subject to change without notice. We cannot assure that the type of investment discussed in this commentary will outperform any other investment strategy in the future, nor can guarantee that such investments will present the best or an attractive risk adjusted investment in the future. This is for general information purposes only, and references to any individual security should be not be construed as a recommendation to buy or sell that security. The securities mentioned in this commentary are only several as successful as unsuccessful investments by us. Do not represent all the securities we have purchased, sold, or recommended, although we deem reliable sources of statistical and other information referred to in the commentary. We cannot guarantee the accuracy or completeness of any statements or numerical data. Past performance is no indication of future results. Shout out to Matthew.